I have, it's somewhat of a mainstream story to go over, but I'm sure most people missed it, but I thought it'd be a good article to read. Okay. This is from NPR. It's posted on August 18th, 2022 with the title, former judges who sent kids to jail for kickbacks must pay more than $200 million. I'm intrigued. And I don't know about this article either. Perfect. Two former Pennsylvania judges who orchestrated a scheme to send children to for-profit jails in exchange for kickbacks were ordered to pay more than $200 million to hundreds of people they victimized in one of the worst judicial scandals in U.S. history. U.S. District Judge Christopher Connor awarded $106 million in compensatory damages and $100 million in punitive damages to nearly 300 people in a long-running civil suit against the judges writing the plaintiffs are the tragic human casualties of a scandal of epic proportions. And what came to be known as the Kids for Cash scandal, Mark Tiavarella and another judge, Michael Conahan, shut down a county-run juvenile detention center and accepted $2.8 million in illegal payments from the builders and co-owners of two for-profit lockups. Sia Varela, who presided over juvenile courts, pushed a zero-tolerance policy that guaranteed large numbers of kids would be sent to Pennsylvania Childcare and its sister facility, Western PA Childcare. Sia Varela ordered children as young as eight to detention, many of them first-time offenders deemed delinquent for petty theft, jaywalking, truancy, smoking on school grounds, and other minor infractions. The judge often ordered youths he had found delinquent to be immediately shackled, handcuffed, and taken away without giving them a chance to put up a defense or even say goodbye to their family. What the hell? Severella and Conahan abandoned their oath and breached the public trust, Connor wrote Tuesday in his explanation of the judgment. Their cruel and despicable actions victimized a vulnerable population of young people, many of whom were suffering from emotional issues and mental health concerns. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court threw out some 4,000 juvenile convictions, including more than 2,300 kids after the scheme was uncovered. It's unlikely the now adult victims will ever see even a fraction of the eye-popping damage awards, but a lawyer for the plaintiff said it's a recognition of the enormity of the disgraced judge crimes. It's a huge victory, Marsha Levick, co-founder and chief counsel of the Philadelphia-based Juvenile Law Center and a lawyer for the plaintiff, said Wednesday, to have an order from federal court that recognizes the gravity of what the judges did to these children in the midst of some of the most critical years of their childhood and development matters enormously, whether or not the money gets paid. Wow. And then, yeah, there's some sad stories in there. Sia Varela is 72 years old right now, and he's serving a 28-year prison sentence in Kentucky, and his projected Great. release date's 2035. And then Conahan is 70 and was sentenced to more than 17 years in prison, but he was released to home confinement in 2020 with six years left on his sentence. I was going to say, is it forever? I mean, for how old they are, more or less. Yeah. Well, it doesn't get much more evil than that. Well, yes, it does, but that's pretty evil. Yeah. So, and it, they didn't specifically say it, but they got money from the for-profit prison system for each kid they sent to juvie. Oh my God. Yeah. And you know what? Stuff like that, when they're that young, it impacts their life for probably forever. Oh, and this is the saddest thing. The damages award only covers plaintiffs who chose to participate in the process. And several of the childhood victims who were part of the lawsuit when it began in 2009 have since died from overdose or suicide. Oh, so they're no. just completely out of it. That's very sad. Yeah. And like there's quotes from kids that were involved in this. Um, some of them still want to remain anonymous. So I'm not actually sure if they were involved in the court case, but it, it was just an absolutely awful system. Yeah. Really why you should never have a for-profit prison system. Yeah. Came up somewhere also recently. Ah, behind the bastards, of course. Anyhow, let's get on to hopefully happier news. Okay, let's do it. Cue music. 
from the unexplained to the mundane. Come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, where, much like hippo balls, the topics we cover in this podcast elude mainstream science. We are your science eluders, Taylor and Chelsea, here today to discuss with you a tale as old as time, or at least as old as Earth, that probably doesn't exist, but I'll leave that up to Chelsea, the professional on this topic, to tell us more about what is more well known as the Black Knight Satellite. Yeah, I like that. The professional on the Black Knight satellite. I might as well be at this point. Okay, so we've got a fun one for you today. The Black Knight satellite, as we always say it first before I say it, so I'm not the first to say it here. You heard it here second from me. The Black Knight satellite is obviously, as its name says, a satellite, and it goes around the Earth in near polar orbit, which is that it passes the poles in its orbit, not the other way around, around the equator. And it is supposedly not of earthly origin. It is said that NASA is covering up its existence and origin as well. So that's basically the Black Knight satellite in a nutshell. Good episode. Yeah, I was just going to say, with that, we can end the episode. Shortest one yet. It's a record breaker. Just kidding. So let's jump into the lore or the legend, the theories, just... Pick whatever one you think sounds best. It's a choose-your-own-adventure kind of night. But not really choose-your-own-adventure, just choose your word. Choose-your-word-adventure. Pretty much every article I read said that there's no rhyme or reason for where the Black Knight got its name. However, I did find only one source, which did provide a potential explanation, so I thought I would just throw it in here and see how it lands. If there's only one website saying how it's got its name, it's probably not... Oh, it got its name, but here it is nonetheless, in true Chelsea style. The moniker for this supposed satellite came from the Middle Ages, at the time of the knights. The knight who wanted to hide his identity or simply did not have a heraldic sign was called Black. The Black Knight is a lone knight, a skilled and shrewd fighter, but most often the nickname is negative, hence the comparison. The Black Knight is also lonely and has no identification marks. Black Knight's kind of like a black sheep in that sense then? Like somebody who's kind of ostracized? I would say. say. Yeah. Like, uh... Because I I gotta say, my, my like reference point for Black Knights are from Monty Python's Holy Grail. Oh, really? Yeah. Like that's, you know, the Black Knight seat in that where he just keeps getting his... Oh. Oh. Okay. Do you care to... I I mean... (laughs) it's kind of hard to believe you've never seen that no i don't think i've ever seen monty python what no yes that is true no i haven't seen it yes it is true okay i'll just let you keep going with the okay okay so yeah that's what it is and i don't know it so much as black sheep so much as well maybe it is because who knows why this black knight wanted to hide his identity Maybe it is because he was ostracized. Maybe it is because he was a vigilante. Maybe it's because he was ugly. I don't know why he wanted to hide his identity. And I don't even know where this explanation came from, to be honest with you. It's not widely known. It was just on some random website that I found. So, yes. You may accept it or not. It is up to you. According to some people whom I won't call conspiracists, at this point, I'm not going to put that in your head. 
The Black Knight is an artificial satellite of ET origin that has orbited Earth for approximately 13,000 years. As I like to comment on these things, I do not know how anyone would ever be able to actually confirm the 13,000 years thing. But that's just me. Couple ways, I guess. But um, my guess would be communications with it. For 13,000 years? You know what? I, I will leave this until you get to it because I do think it emits communications. I'm going to spoil it for everyone right now. It's not 13,000 years ago that these communications go back. Yeah. No, but it, okay. Okay. Keep okay. going. Okay. Maybe we could bring it up later, but we probably won't remember. Okay. There are also several photographs of the purported black satellite, which provide fuel to the fire that we will post some of the pictures in the socials. Maybe, probably. It might make it to the socials. And if you've heard anything of the black satellite, you've probably seen some of these photos. If you Google it right now or look at our Instagram and the photos have been posted, you will see it there. When you look at these photos, I will be the first to admit this doesn't really look like anything you would picture a satellite being like. Because we've all seen satellites at this point. We've pretty much grown up with them. Well, if you're my age, you've pretty much grown up with Not like seeing them yourself, but like seeing pictures of them. You would know. It looks like a very primitive, kind of dark, oddly shaped object. Like kind of rock-like, I would say, based on my scientific deductions and professional opinion. The most famous image of all is probably one taken by NASA itself. The image of a silhouette of an unidentified shape. That is said to be a photo of the Black Knight satellite itself. Not by NASA though, right? Not by NASA, no. The photo in question is known as STS-088-724-66 and was taken during the first space shuttle mission to the International Space Station. Now, in regards to this photo in particular, it was taken during the STS-88 mission and claimed by some to show the Black Knight satellite is catalogued by NASA as a photo of space debris. The International Space Station was under construction and NASA sent the first space shuttle mission to help with the build. The shuttle had brought equipment along, including a thermal blanket cover meant to insulate the station's trunnion pins. But one of these blankets came loose during a spacewalk and floated off. So this is what NASA says that it is, is a space blanket that's floated off. A pretty cool picture. You know the one I'm talking about, right? I know the exact one you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pretty much what you see if you've seen anything with the Black Knight satellite. There's another when in August 2015, footage emerged from Jacksonville, Florida, showing a mysterious object hovering in the sky. It looks suspiciously like the object in the photo from the Endeavor, and some claim that it's the Black Knight satellite. Now, I'm going to take you through kind of a chronological series of events contributing to this legend or theory, whatever word you've chosen, just place it here, that has been cultivated of the Black Knight. And it all starts with Nikola Tesla, where this legend most likely originates. In 1899, Tesla had been given $100,000 by Jacob Astor, who later died aboard the Titanic, if you recognize the name at all. The money was to create a new lighting system, which Nikola naturally spent creating experiments at his Colorado Springs laboratory. During one of these- Sorry, have you looked at John Jacob Astor before? No, I think maybe I have. The man has quite the mustache. All the rich people did, I think. Okay, when I write John Jacob into the Google search, I was gonna it, write yeah, Astor. it just keeps going. And it says John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> I'm just gonna replace Astor. 
Oh yeah, that's a mustache. You don't see mustache. It's also quite the like tie that, too, but uh, uh, he looks yeah, like I a didn't hipster. even notice that until just now. Just like a modern day hipster. Yeah, he does. Sorry, continue. So he died on the Titanic. Holy shit! Sorry, John Jacob yeah. Astor the Third has mutton chops and an epic handlebar mustache. Huh, okay, his on. dad. Whoa. You, I, did, mutton chops haven't come back, have they? Maybe in the South. I've seen them. They they have no eyes. <laughs> They've come back for very specific purposes. Really? Like what? To look the like... ironic? Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of trashy. But this guy looks very dignified. I don't know. He kind of looks like he has poodle ears. He does. Okay. Okay, okay. They definitely look like poodle ears. They do look like poodle ears. You think that's the look mutton chops are intended to emulate? Oh, or is it sheep ears? They probably the just... The mutton ears. Back, like, when all these fancy facial hairs were probably made, they... Well, I don't know what, what the issue was behind it. Okay, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. We can move back to the actual okay. topic of the episode. Okay. So... So Jacob Astor gives the money to create a new lighting system to Nikola Tesla, and which Tesla naturally spent creating experiments in his Colorado Springs laboratory. During one of these experiments, he recorded a signal that he believed to be artificial in nature and from an intelligent species not of this earth. As an aside, I love a good aside. I don't know about all of you, Taylor. But as someone who does not have tons of disposable money, I can't even begin to be able to know what the feeling of I must create a new lighting system and I do not care the cost. I will pay whoever the best scientist around. I know. And just like, I'm not even rich enough to know who the mad scientist who you can kind of buy to do weird shit. Like, if, yeah, if you want to like, I don't even know what I would do if I had enough money. Like, I need to create a, I don't know. I'm not that rich. I don't even know what I would want to make or who to contact. That just well, shows how much. Personally, I would have. just like a matter replicator, you know, have whatever you want at the palm of your hand. True. Of course, True. that would make the money I have redundant because then anybody could just make money. True. But, um, but who would you go to at that point? Yeah, that's my problem. Yeah. So you have the ideas. You have the idea. You don't have the money or the mad scientist contact yet. Exactly. You're one third of the way there. Okay. So anyhow, Tesla announces to the world that he has intercepted a message from aliens and he recounts to multiple newspapers that he had been conducting unrelated wireless power experiments in a purpose-built tower at his home in Colorado Springs. That's when he stated that he had received radio signals, which he interpreted as the greeting of one planet to another, according to a 1901 article he wrote in Collier's Weekly. This is a quote from Tesla. That's who we're talking about. Quote, I felt as though I were present at the birth of a new knowledge or the revelation of a great truth. This he wrote in the signal of 1901. Even now at times, I can vividly recall the incident and see my apparatus as though it were actually before me. My first observations positively terrified me as there was present in them something mysterious, not to say supernatural, and I was alone in my laboratory at night. It was some time afterward when the thought flashed upon my mind that the disturbances I had observed might be due to an intelligent control. Although I could not decipher their meaning, it was impossible for me to think of them as having been entirely accidental. The feeling is constantly growing on me that I had been the first to hear the greeting of one planet to another." End quote. So there's no evidence that Tesla ever mentioned the idea of the Black Knight satellite, nor that he ever intimated the concept of a spaceship orbiting Earth, let alone one with the purpose of intelligence gathering. Tesla himself interpreted them as a series of numeric codes and beliefs 
believed them to come from highly intelligent beings on Mars. Then in 1927, engineer Jorgen House also picked up a strange signal, or to be more precise, a normal signal repeated in a strange manner. He quotes, I repeatedly heard signals from the Dutch shortwave transmitter station PC PCJJ, Eindhoven. He wrote to Professor Carl Stormer at the University of Oslo. At the same time as I heard the telegraph signals, I heard the usual echo, which goes round the earth with an interval of about one seventh of a second, as well as weaker echo about three seconds after the principal signal had gone. When the principal signal was especially strong, I suppose that the amplitude for the last echo three seconds after lay between one tenth and one twentieth of the principal signal in strength. From where this echo comes, I can not say for the present. I will only herewith confirm that I really heard this echo. I do have the audio. So that's that. From what I've heard of Nikola Tesla's sounds that he heard from space, a lot of people believe he, what he actually heard was the planets. I posted what radio wave sounds come from Saturn. All the planets emit radio waves and they all have an eerie sound. Yeah, like all the planets have super creepy sounds or very weird repeating sounds. And the speculation, because he didn't leave anything that was actually recorded, was that what Nikola Tesla heard at that time was one of the planets. Yeah, it was something like that. And to be honest, I thought I put it in my notes, but I might be taking on another adventure. Okay, so that was Jorgen Halls. He may have made a scientific discovery in his observations, but not the one he thought he might have been the first person to hear what are now known as long delayed echoes or LDEs. So that's Jorgen. In 1954, the New York Times publishes a claim by UFO researcher Donald Kehoe that a Pentagon source had confirmed the existence of two natural satellites orbiting Earth. At that time, no country had the technology to launch a satellite. Army Office of Ordnance Research had enlisted a team of astronomers to search for near-Earth satellites, but the leaders of the project denied ever having discovered any. This is probably the most compelling evidence for the Black Knight satellite, and I'm actually a little bit torn after doing the research into this. And this is actually not... If you just research Black Knight satellite, this is not usually one that comes up in regards to the Black Knight satellite. Huh. which I found really weird, but it was only mentioned on, I think, one website, and I started reading it, and it's probably it has the most meat behind it of anything that I read with the Black Knight satellite. A lot can be explained away, but this one holds a lot, actually. So I'm going to get into these reports for you, and these reports originally come from Dr. Lincoln LaPaz and Clyde, Clyde Tombo, who discovered Pluto. 
combo. The University of New Mexico at August 1954 and they're astronomers among other things. They're not just astronomers. One has a math degree and so on. I didn't get into that. I'm just mentioning it briefly. 1952, Dr. J. Allen Hynek from Project Blue Book secretly conducted a survey of fellow astronomers on UFO sightings and attitudes while attending an astronomy convention. Combo and four other astronomers, including La Paz, told Hynek about their UFO sightings. They both had multiple UFO sightings. Maybe for another episode? I don't know. It's definitely not for this one, I don't think. If you want to get into them, but I don't think it lends anything to the Black Knight satellite, so I don't think we should. Anyway, during this story, Tombo also told Hynek that his telescopes were at the Air Force's disposal, taking photos of UFOs if he was properly alerted. So this probably leads to what comes next, which is the search for near-Earth satellites, first announced in late 1953 and sponsored by the Army Office of Ordnance Research. Now, you have to remember the time this is happening as well. It's the Cold War, much like our episode on remote viewing and many other episodes. Pretty much anything can be done and funded if you say, but the Russians... The Russians are doing it, or it yeah. could be the Russians. It could be the Russians. The Russians are doing it. We might as well do it before the Russians. Anything to that extent. Pretty much going to get funding for it. But I don't know. We have the space race on, obviously. Sputnik isn't launched much after this. Sputnik is, I talk about it, it's coming up in the next couple of years here. But it's in the why? 50s, yeah. It's not yet. It's not 1953. But why they're searching for near Earth satellites at this point, there's nothing actually been launched there. Maybe they think because they're in the space race that something's up there. Could it just be the fact that satellite has a more general use definition than just synthetic objects in orbit? In fact, technically, the moon's a satellite. So they could literally just be looking for small debris, small meteors that are in orbit in that area. True. Let's go with that. Because, Well, unless they're trying to see what Russia's up to. Another public statement was made on the search in March 1954, emphasizing the rationale that such an orbiting object would serve as a natural space station. However, according to Donald Kehoe, who wrote the article, he was later director of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, ICAP. Real reason for the sudden search was because two near-Earth orbiting objects had been picked up on new long-range radar in the summer of 1953, according to his Pentagon source. Okay, so you know what? I wrote these notes, but I didn't remember that that was in there. So that perfectly... They were talking about natural satellites. Yeah, they're... Yeah, it explains right here what they're doing. So by May 1954, Kehoe was making public statements that his sources told him the search had indeed been successful and either one or two objects had been found. However, the story did not break until August 23rd, 1954, when Aviation Week magazine stated that two satellites had been found only 400 and 600 miles out, were termed natural satellites and implied that they had been recently captured, despite this being a virtual impossibility possibility. Next day, the story was in many major newspapers. Dr. Lepaz was implicated in the discovery in addition to Tombo. New York Times reported on August 29th that a source close to the OOR unit here described as quite accurate the report in the magazine Aviation Week. Two previously unobserved satellites had been spotted and identified by Dr. Lincoln Lepaz of the University of New Mexico as natural and not artificial objects. 
A source also said there is absolutely no connection between reported satellites and flying saucer reports. However, in the October 10th issue, La Paz said the magazine article was false in every particular insofar as reference to me is concerned. Paz at first vehemently denied that he was involved in any way and later denied that anything had been found. Both Lapaz and Tombo issue public denials that anything had been found. The October 1955 issue of Popular Mechanics magazine reported, quote, Professor Tombo is closed mouth about his results. He won't say whether or not any small natural satellites have been discovered. He does say, however, the newspaper reports of 18 months ago announcing the discovery of natural satellites of 400 and 600 miles out are not correct. He adds that there is no connection between the search program and the reports of so-called flying saucers. End quote. As we started this little segment with retired Marine Corps Major Donald Kehoe obviously supports the two and claimed the two satellites were orbiting Earth and the Secretary of the Air Force Harold Talbo had personally seen one of them. Elbow denied the claims. Kehoe was a UFO expert who wrote several non-fiction books on the subject and was taken quite seriously as a journalist. And there are also a lot of people that say Kehoe was releasing a book at the time, so wanted the publicity. But this, more than anything, I find super compelling. Not Kehoe, but Lapaz and Tombo what they were doing. Obviously, this leads to an uproar of a government cover-up because obviously the two are being silenced from saying anything. Launch of the actual first satellites into orbit by Russia were in 1957. Three years after this, the US in 1958 muddied the waters even further after that, like what was going on with this project yeah. with these two. If you want to learn more about the start of the satellite race, go back and listen to our episode, Surprise, the Spies Have Eyes in the Skies. Oh yeah, that's the one that is from. The US Navy picked up a dark tumbling object on radar in February 11, 1960, which the Defense Department alleged was merely space debris from an Air Force Discoverer satellite. Classified Pentagon papers later revealed this was a lie and the object was in fact an American reconnaissance satellite launched to spy on Russia. That makes sense. February 1960, Time, among numerous other outlets, reported that the U.S. Navy had detected a dark object orbiting Earth and no one knew where it came from. March 1960, Time magazine claimed that the object was a retro rocket from a Discoverer satellite. See, when a satellite returns to Earth, it fires a retro rocket to slow its descent. The retro rocket has a parachute and is supposed to be picked up by scout planes as it falls. According to Time, this particular discoverer launched its retro rocket in August 1959, it appeared. No one noticed it orbiting for five months, even though the Department of Defense employed people whose sole responsibility was to monitor objects in space. These DOD employees used a radar detector dubbed Dark Fence to help alert them to objects orbiting over the U.S. And here's how Time explained the blunder. So basically Time is reporting on some random object which we'll say is a Black Knight satellite. Instead of slowing the recovery capsule and bringing it down, the rocket's thrust had increased the capsule speed and put it into different and higher orbit, where it circled for five months before the still inexperienced dark fence watchers noticed it. With this experience behind them, the space watchers could be expected to do better the next time a silent unknown satellite starts crisscrossing the sky. 
Naturally, again, this leads people to believe that it's a cover-up and why during that time they were publishing articles about mysterious objects orbiting Earth is beyond me. And that goes for the same with all the articles that were published with the previous two fellows. Why was it being reported in newspapers? I don't get that either, especially during a time where they were like in a space race. Oh, that's exactly why. Uh, it was to fuel it and say, look what the Russians are doing. I guess so. What an odd time. So that same year, what year are we talking about? 1960. Same year, an American newspaper reported that there is an unusual object in polar orbit. And then, both superpowers had satellites in equatorial orbit, but polar orbit meant that the satellite could see every part of Earth, yet neither country admitted owning it. This may seem strange, but remember that this was a time of deep-rooted suspicion and espionage, as we've talked about a few times, so maybe just remember back to that time we said so. Plus, you know, the North Koreans are around. They're a wild card in all this. Yeah, an unsuspected wild card, obviously, at this point, because everyone thinks it's the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> Not just with each other, but now seemingly with extraterrestrials too. The following year, named ufologi ufologist, as it is said correctly, Jacques Vallée. <laughs> Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée. Vallée. Claimed he had recorded footage of a UFO that was in retrograde orbit around Earth's rotation until it was ominously confiscated. Further charges that NASA was hiding something. In 1963, astronaut Gordon Cooper claimed that he he saw green lights belonging to the Black Knight in his pioneering Mercury 9 mission into Earth orbit with ground control radar at Muchia, Muchia tracking station, also allegedly picking up something inexplicable. While Cooper had announced seeing many UFOs, he claims he did not see this one, and neither NASA's mission transcripts nor Cooper's personal copies show any such report being made during the orbit, obviously coerced into silence. So then, in 1973, unfortunately, based on everything that I've put together and read, this seems to give the Black Knight all the fuel that it needs for some reason. Out of all things, I'm not sure why this seems to be the biggest one that people point to. At 1973, science fiction author Duncan Lunan, amateur astronomer, Lunin researched the phenomenon of LDEs, long-delayed echoes. You may remember these from Horgan House and posited that they were intelligent transmissions from a probe originating from Epsilon Utes. I don't know how you say that, oh, with the two little balls on top of it. The umlauts? Like the accent. Utes. Citing Stanford University's Professor Ron Bracewell's theory of alien probes, known as Bracewell probes. He believed that such a probe had been hiding behind the moon for some 13,000 years. Okay, see, there there we get the 13,000. It's like I never read my shit before I read it. It's all, I want to be as surprised as you all listening as well. In my mind, you just treat actually doing the episode as like a, a test. And yeah. therefore, all knowledge of it just immediately escapes your mind. Exactly. So despite Lunin specifically refuting any connection with the Black Knight, that's the guy who came up with this theory, his name is almost universally mentioned in its history, and perhaps he unintentionally influenced the theory with this figure of 13,000 years. Go figure. Yeah, what a dick. Yeah. Lunin told the magazine Spaceflight that a 13,000-year-old UFO orbiting the Earth was to blame for the bizarre sightings and 
signals, even claimed to have decoded them as a message and said that they were instructions from an alien race on a double star named Epsilon Butis. Unan later withdrew his fantastical claim and firmly stated he wanted nothing to do with the Black Knight satellite nonsense. By then, the conspiracy had spread within the UFO circles without him. And by 1998, believers were primed to disbelieve anything NASA told them, especially about the official photograph they could see with their own eyes. And with that, we come to the end. And now one thing I would like to point out in all of this is that I was not able to find any answers to whether or not amateur astronomers have sightings of this thing. One other point I'd like to make is that it's not really a point rather than an allusion to what may be a point. And that is what is X-37B up to these days? Is X-37B up to these days? I bet it's still in space. Probably. It wasn't supposed to come back for like a while on the last journey. You can't track it, right? That was our whole episode. It's very mysterious. It is in space. It has been since May 17th, 2020. Still there. Yeah. Go figure. And that's what X-37B is up to. And that's the end of my episode. Oh, okay. One of the distinct things I always hear about the Black Knight satellite is that it has a polar orbit, which everybody says, and it's very unique. Yet when Pete, in all of these descriptions of it, not a single person described these weird things they saw as having a, a abnormal polar orbit. Yes, but I also researched it. And for once I researched something, it didn't actually make it into this episode. It was going to until I realized that a polar orbit is not... It's not abnormal anymore. Really abnormal. No. Not anymore. It used to be. It did for a, to be. And for a 13,000 year orbit, it would be unique because it would decay very rapidly. And that's why we don't generally use polar orbits. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, I did look at that, but it's not, they use it for like mapping and stuff like that. It's actually very common now. Also X-37B has, uh, has set its record. It's 824 days as of right now with Holy its shit. previous record being 779 days. What's it doing up there? I want to know. Who knows? What do we write to? Taylor. Probably that Florida man who just got arrested. Oh yeah, that no, he's the one to ask about dragons. See, but the answer could be dragons. Or stealing someone else's vehicle. Yeah. We also, to... we could write China. China would probably know what it's up to. True, China would know. Do you think it would tell us being China? The country of China. I don't know if the country of China can tell us things. Okay, let's write to China. People in China. Okay. Okay. But yeah, thank you for doing that, Chelsea. Stay tuned for next week when we're going to be discussing other space-based oddities, at least somewhat. I'm keeping it close, at least a little bit for my episode. Can't wait. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh.